It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. A fighter is running for Congress. And her name is Laura Loomer. She spent her career taking on the political establishment as an investigative journalist. Laura Loomer stands independent and will serve Florida, not the political parties or special interests. She won't just stand by your side. Laura Loomer will fight for you and your family. On August 23rd, send a woman to Washington who fights for you and not political parties. I'm Laura Loomer, and I approve this message. All right, Sandy Rios with you. Um, well, how about that for a campaign commercial? You know, the, today's one of my favorite kind of days when I can actually have someone in studio. You probably heard after listening to me all these years that uh, that's really my bread and butter. I like that more than talking to myself, to you every single morning. I love talking to people. When I was in Chicago, I would never interview anyone unless they came into studio. Can you imagine that? That's how we did it in the old days. You can't be on the radio unless you come in studio. And so it's really a treat for me to have uh, Laura Loomer with me this morning, uh, who happens to be in town and happens to be running for um, a Congress in the 11th District in Florida. Laura, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so people are going, uh, that name sounds kind of familiar, so let me just tell them why. Laura is that girl that you've seen in the last probably, more not 10 years, maybe yet, maybe seven, uh, doing all kinds of like really bold things and you go she's got really dark hair she interrupts like people like hillary clinton uh like kevin mccarthy uh like jack dorsey of twitter she has the audacity to go in and actually sort of put them on the spot she's done that a lot that's how she started her young career she worked with project veritas um uh and uh, james o'keefe and then so she is an investigative journalist and she's also a jewish conservative she's run for congress before here in Florida, uh, but this time she's running in the 11th district. So, Laura, let's go back, first of all. Did I say welcome already? Yeah, thank well, you. Thank welcome you so much again. for having me. Welcome again. Um, when you were working for James and when you were doing your investigative journalism, right now you're busy running a campaign, uh, what were the high points for you? Uh, like, what was the, like, if you had, there was one thing you wanted me to know about that you had done uh, with Project Veritas or your other endeavors, what would that one thing be? Well, as soon as I uh, finished college, because I began working for Project Veritas my senior year of college, uh, I moved to New York where I was working undercover, of course, uh, uh, with Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. And a lot of people don't know this, but um, I was one of the undercover operatives inside the Hillary Clinton campaign with hidden cameras and uh, microphones exposing the Hillary Clinton campaign. All the falling uh, and all of that? Yeah, I, all, I, I was uh, undercover in the Hillary Clinton campaign all across the country in various states. 
uh, swing states and and then also New York, uh, exposing their voter fraud plan for the 2016 election. And of course, uh, our videos were then utilized by President Donald Trump uh, during the debates between himself and Hillary Clinton. Um, My videos uh, resulted in an FEC violation against the Clinton campaign. And a lot of people don't know that. But uh, I played a key role in helping uh, President Donald Trump get elected by exposing the fraud in the Hillary Clinton campaign. Let me give people another, a little bit more of an idea of what you did in case I bet, I bet they're going, oh, oh yeah, oh, I think I saw that girl. So let's give them a little bit more of an idea. I actually think one of the most courageous things I saw you do, um, and I was just, I, I would have, I think this is something, I think this is something we should have all been willing to do. And that is, there was a performance of uh, Caesar, Julius Caesar in the Central Park in New York City. And in that play, I remember seeing videos of it. Uh, they, there was a, the character that was supposed to be Caesar was a Donald Trump lookalike who wore a suit, just like Donald Trump. He didn't wear some robe. And at the end, the char- I guess it's the end. The characters all all stabbed him. It was a murder on the stage. I, it was uh, appalling. So you and Jack Brasobiak were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us what you did, and then I'm going to play the audio. Yeah, you know, we actually ended up showing up uh, at different times. It wasn't a coordinated effort, believe it or not, but uh, we just happened to both be in the audience. Uh, but I was living in New York, of course, at the time, and I went down to the city and I uh, got a ticket. And uh, in the middle of the play, like right before the assassination scene, uh, I hopped up on stage and I started shouting that uh, you know the mock assassination of President Donald Trump was incitements of political violence against the right and that it was unacceptable. And uh, ultimately, I ruined the entire performance. And, um, you know, of course, people like Sean Hannity and, and, and others had been talking about this play nonstop, condemning it, of course, because uh, it was taxpayer funded. So the taxpayers of New York were essentially paying for the public theater of New York City to host an assassination porn play, as I like to call it, of President Donald Trump. Like snuff and porn. Yes, exactly. And so I was the only person that actually had the courage to... Uh, shut it down. And as a result, I was arrested <laughs> by the NYPD, but uh, it inspired others uh, others to speak out about it as well, and I would do it again. Excellent. As a matter of fact, I just want to give people a kind of a taste of that. Imagine if you've ever been to New York City. Many of you haven't. It's beautiful. Central Park's beautiful. It's, what a great place for culture and theater. Do we all know that? Yes, we do. And yet somehow it's there's a rottenness there, and you're going to hear a little bit of it here. This is uh, clip four. Let's hear it, Laura at Julius Caesar in Central Park, uh, New York City. Shame! Shame on all of you! Shame! This is Goebbels! This is Goebbels! You are all Goebbels! Section D, Section D, Section D, Laura, that that took a lot of guts. You know, I love uh, musicals, plays, drama. Been to a lot of theater. I've been on stage uh, and in the audience, and um, that took a ton of courage. You're young. You're only twenty eight. I just turned 29. Yeah. Okay. A whole whopping 29. So but I was 22, I believe, when that happened. When that right. play happened. And how did you, um, what drove you to do that? 
Was that just a shtick because it was your job? What was going on inside of you? Yeah, no, it wasn't even my job, honestly. I just was appalled by it. And, you know, for me, I, I, I get very agitated and I get very annoyed watching commentators on TV complain about issues, right? And I figured to myself, <laughs> I live in New York, right? I live in New York, the media capital of the world. And all these, all these politicians and all these media figures, right, they have the resources to raise awareness about what's going on, to put an end to it if they really wanted to, but they just want to complain about it on TV. And so I was motivated by wanting to do something instead of just complaining. And, you know, I've never, I don't really ever worry about the consequences. I just think about whether something is right or if it's wrong, you know, and so I hopped up on the stage. Well, in fact, let's let's go to another. There's so many. Uh, you've done so many of these, but uh, tell us about your intervention. You were with the Clinton campaign embedded, but you also confronted her later uh, in a different situation. Yeah. So uh, when I left Project Veritas, I decided I wanted to start my own media company because with Veritas, it was more undercover. But I always had a desire to be more overt and, you know, directly confrontational. And so uh, I invented my Lumard videos and I would show up to book signings and events of uh, high profile politicians. And Hillary Clinton launched her book tour, of course, uh, the Benghazi anniversary in New York. And uh, the day that she was uh, launching it at the Barnes and Noble um, on uh, 13th Street in New York City, uh, I showed up and I put my camera in her face and I was live streaming and I asked her what happened, right? Because that was the title of her book. It was called What Happened. So I said, what happened, right, to your 33,000 emails? What happened in Benghazi? What happened to all the money that was supposed to go to the people in Haiti? And uh, she didn't really like being questioned very much. And I saw Huma Abedin on the way out, asked her a few questions, and then I was, uh, you know, dragged out by the wrist by uh, Secret Service. But it was viral and, you know, made a point. Let me just interject because you were talking to an audience, you know, News cycles come and go, and people don't even know Hillary Clinton was, um, okay, I'm, these are my words, responsible in the deepest sense for the tragedy that was Benghazi on 9-11 of whatever year that was. And it was horrific what they let happen to the, to the ambassador and to the men who were there to protect that embassy in the annex. And it's a, it, it's a blight. If you know that, um, if you knew the details of it, you would understand why her introducing that book um, in on, at the anniversary of Benghazi is so offensive. Uh, so that too took a ton of courage, Laura. And um, let's do one more before I ask you a couple of questions. Um, you, one of the things that you and I have talked about when we've talked privately um, is. And we'll go into this in the content of a little bit later. But you went to confront the Republican establishment at the NRC, NRCC, NRSC, NRCC, NRCC. What is that? Tell them what it is. Uh, that's the National Republican Congressional Committee. And, of course, uh, the National Republican Congressional Committee is, uh, is is led by people like Kevin McCarthy and Tom Emmer of Minnesota. And this is the group that, uh, you know, holds the purse strings with regard to money that congressional candidates, Republican congressional candidates receive. Uh, this is the uh, committee and the fund that decides which candidates get funds or which candidates are given a national platform. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but... In the aftermath of uh, the 2020 stolen election, Donald Trump actually sent the NRCC, the RNC, and the NRSC, the National Republican Senate Committee, uh, cease and desist letters asking them to stop using his image, name, and likeness for the sake of fundraising because they raised almost a billion, right, one billion with a B, dollars after the election with false promises of combating voter fraud, false promises of holding people accountable for election integrity and big tech censorship. They didn't do that. 
And so I showed up, of course, because you see that even after, right, the second impeachments and after January 6th, where all of these establishment figures threw President Trump and Americans under the bus, they continued to support pro-impeachment Republicans. And I wanted to know why people like Liz Cheney were still receiving money, right, while others were not. So I showed up and I asked uh, Kevin McCarthy about it. All right, let's listen to that clip. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Kevin Ford. I'm running for Congress in Florida's 11th district for my primary at Webster. I ran last election cycle in District 21, uh, home to President Donald Trump. I was endorsed by President Trump. He voted for me. And, uh, you know, I didn't receive support from the NRCC. But my question to you is, I saw your slideshow. It says 2022 top targeted incumbents. But I noticed that uh, Liz Cheney's name isn't on that list. And so I'm just kind of wondering, how do you uh, determine who your top targeted incumbents are? Um, are you paying attention to uh, the feelings and the sentiment of the Trump base that is very angry with the stolen election? And why are you supporting Republicans who are not trying to remove incumbents who voted to impeach Donald Trump? It just seems like it would be a no-brainer to want to uh, challenge these 10 Republicans who voted to impeach So once again, you're, you're not endearing yourself to leadership in the Republican Party. I wanted to play that because I wanted people to see uh, the courage that you have. You took on the left. You took on the establishment Republicans in many different ways. And uh, now you're running for Congress in the 11th District in Florida. And I want to talk to you when we come back, Laura, about your background. I, everybody's going to want to know, and I want to know, where in the world did you get that passion for truth? Where did that come from? And um, we'll, we'll talk about that when we return. This is Sandy Rios along with Laura Loomer. By the way, she's written a great book about the, her long life of 29 years. It is actually a great book. <laughs> and so there's going to be a lot of books out of her life, I think. But it, this one's called Loomered, How I Became the Most Banned Woman in the World. And we'll talk about that when we come back, too. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Andy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right. Are you guys familiar with that urban myth that if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it will instantly leap out? But if you put it in a pot filled with pleasantly tepid water and gradually heat it, the frog will remain in the water until it boils to death. Well, that is a fitting metaphor for our democracy right now. As our democratic norms erode within America, we must wonder, will this democracy survive? Well, a Yahoo News poll says no. But perhaps when you build a nation on stolen land with stolen labor, it was never going to be a republic we could keep. So let's talk about the possible fall of democracy and what, if anything, can be done to keep it. That's Tiffany Cross of MSNBC. Sandy Rios back with you. I just found out as I was listening to that, you know, she's not that old. She grew up in this country. 
She seems pretty happy, actually, about it uh, failing because she thinks America deserves it. So I think about Laura Loomer, my guest this morning, as she sits across from me, and I think about what kind of background brought Tiffany Cross to that statement and what kind of background brought Laura Loomer uh, to the point of her life where she, even starting as, at 22 and earlier, we'll maybe get into that too, uh, just had such a burning uh, passion for truth uh, that she was willing to put her her neck out there and, and her p- reputation um, and give it all to fight various things, that you even some that you've heard and some that you've not. And so, so Laura, again, thanks for joining me this morning. And that, the question is, what, what, how in the first simple question, what in the world in your growing up and your upbringing gave you that sense of right and wrong? You know, a lot of people ask me this question, but it just was kind of... Um... I, it just really came to me. I, I went to boarding school, and so, uh, you know, I went to a boarding school on a on a ranch in uh, Arizona called the Orm Boarding School, and, um, you know, it was pretty secluded. <laughs> it was in the middle of nowhere, so I just kind of spent my time, um, you know, watching news whenever I had uh, the opportunity, right? And I, I was always just very interested in, uh, you know, the squabbles that people had, political squabbles, of course, and, um, you know, it given the fact that I went to school on a ranch and it was very secluded and I couldn't really leave or have that kind of typical normal high school experience that so many people have, right? I always kind of aspired and, you know, imagined what I would do if, you know, I, I did have that opportunity. And so I spent a lot of time like really uh, plotting, right? Plotting things in my head. And I think that's what I do too as an investigative journalist and throughout these videos uh, and the clips that you played, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that the truth you know, the truth is important and the truth transcends party affiliation. The truth tra- transcends uh, party lines. And so oftentimes, right, you'll see, I, yes, I am a Republican. I was the president of the College Republicans. Uh, but uh, I spend more time, I find, criticizing my own party these days than the Democrat Party because I just find there to be uh, such a lack of intellectual honesty, uh, such a lack of leadership, uh, you know, fecklessness, cowardice that is uh, really plaguing our party. And uh, for me, I just I can't help uh, but blurt these truths out. I, I, I wrote in my book that, you know, these these inconvenient truths, they just leave my uh, my core. You know, they just leave my core consequences be damned. But uh, uh, it, it's a combination of a desire for the truth and also just kind of, uh, you know, this burning sense of uh, righteous indignation that runs through my veins. <laughs> and I can't help it. I can't help it. People would want to know this. You're you are Jewish. Were both your parents Jewish? Yeah. So I was raised Jewish, and uh, you know my parents are divorced, and so then when my parents got divorced, my mother uh, reverted to uh, Christianity. But I was I was raised in a Jewish household until my parents were divorced. So yeah. practicing Judaism, you knew the you know, law. And the I, no, you know we didn't. We didn't. I went to boarding school at age twelve, and so I didn't grow up in a very um, you know super religious household. Uh, and of course, then when my parents got divorced, I mean, well, they had agreed, right, when they married that they were going to raise me, uh, raise me Jewish. And, um, you know, I didn't really have a super religious upbringing due to all of the uh, dysfunction, right, the dysfunction in my household growing up. I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. Uh, the police were at my house on a regular basis due to, um, you know, just uh, like domestic issues. I have a, a brother who, of course, is... Uh, you know, severely mentally ill. Um, and so I went to boarding school at age 12 and you know, just kind of figure things out myself. You know, this reminds me of a story. I met a woman uh, several years ago at a conference in D.C., and she was Romanian, and she had been an attorney in Romania. And she told me her story 
She's growing up in Roma communist Romania. She was part of the party, and she did what they do. And but she said she always felt that she wanted to know the truth. She never felt that what she was living and what she was seeing was truth. And she developed a passion for the truth. And uh, she has a long story in a great book about how um, this passion drove her to a new realization. But I do think that God places, are the God that you serve, the people of the book, serve the God of all truth. And Christians are the people of the book and Jews are the people of the book. The God that we serve is the God of all truth. And I think he plants within our hearts um, a desire for truth. It brings sanity, for heaven's sake. Un you know, lies and deceit bring insanity, don't you think? Yeah. They make you crazy. <laughs> they make you crazy, right? You know, yeah, exactly. And that is why they say, right, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. <laughs> That's right. And it is true. So. That is true. All right. So that is a lot about what drives you. And uh, we, I'd be remiss if I didn't then also ask you about what happened to you in college. You were like top of your class. Yeah, you so you know, I left when I when I finished boarding school. <laughs> I decided that you know, growing up in this very secluded uh, ranch, I wanted to go as far away as possible from home. Right, I had a desire to just move from the west to the east coast. So uh, I uh, got in. I was waitlisted at Dartmouth. I was very upset that I didn't get in. Well, ultimately accepted into Dartmouth after being waitlisted. So I did a semester at a school called Mount Holyoke College, which was a women's college. And that was my first mistake because I should have uh, had enough common sense to think that uh, or know that a college uh, conservative like myself was not going to be accepted in a, a rabid left-wing women's college. Uh, so I transferred to a school called Bear University in Miami, and I was the president of the College Republicans. And ultimately, you know, I was kicked out of college a month before graduation, even though I was valedictorian. I wrote about this in my book because, you know, I exposed the fact that my university had a bias towards the Republican club. And when I teamed up with James O'Keefe, I said, well, <laughs> I bet that they would allow me to have an ISIS club. So I, you know, created an ISIS club and I got... Uh, faculty sponsors, and they agreed to provide funding for this organization that would fund ISIS. And we got it on hidden camera uh, to prove, right, to prove that this wokeness and this insane Marxist uh, left-wing agenda is completely void of all common sense and, yeah. and, and reality. And uh, they did not fire the professor. They gave him a promotion. And I was, uh, like I said, expelled for exposing the truth. Yeah. So that's the pattern of your life. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So so then you, uh, a lot of things happened to you. You did run for Congress. You wrote this book. Let me just talk about the book for a second. You have a great foreword here by James O'Keefe. He calls you his little sister. He okay. says you're like a little sister to him. I think that's a great tribute. And then you have a lot of other endorsements. Um, I'm sorry that I can't. Oh, uh, Michelle Malkin, mm -hmm. uh, Roger Stone, um, Michael Flynn, Janine Pirro. She's a good friend of mine, too. Yeah. Janine, Judge Janine, she's wonderful. And Dinesh D'Souza, you have some great endorsements. And your book really is fine. I just want people to know that. Loomered, how I became the most banned woman in the world. And we won't go into that. It's just that because of your activities, you were taken off of all social media. Mm -hmm. And for a young person, that is your world, isn't it? Especially when you're isolated like you were. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. <laughs> when I was in high school, right, I the internet connection, uh, being on a ranch, right, it was a... Uh, it was very weak internet connection. We had internet curfews. And when I say isolated, I, I really mean isolated. I mean, it was limited internet activity. And so when I got to college and I was able to really, you know, have my own social media accounts and, uh, you know, then I, you know, started using it for activism and during my, you know, profession as an investigative journalist, you, you, you come to realize that in this generation, as a millennial, 
you cannot have a job in journalism unless you have social media. I mean, it's almost like a job requirement. And so um, I had millions of followers online. I uh, was getting over 150 million views a month just on my videos on my Twitter account before I was banned. And uh, ultimately, right, they realized that was my mode of distribution, my mode of uh, monetization. And these companies banned me. I was the canary in the coal mine for all the censorship. And people will say, oh, well, Laura Loomer, you know, she's a wacko. She's a conspiracy theorist. She's anti-Muslim. That's what they love calling me. They say I'm like an Islamophobe extremist. But the reality is, is that you know, I focused on exposing Islamic terrorism, and upon my investigations, I ended up exposing, right, I was the first journalist to expose the fact that Ilhan Omar married her brother and had ties to terrorist organizations like ISIS, Hamas, and the Muslim Brotherhood before she was ever elected. And they did not take too too kindly to that. And as a result, Big Tech partnered with groups like CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, which I know you've uh, talked a lot about on your show in the past, and they banned me. And people don't seem to understand that this is happening in America, where big tech is working with terrorist organizations to silence political dissidents. Yes, I think they're getting the picture now. I think they're yeah. understanding that. But you, it happened to you early on. And then, of course, when you ran for Congress in Florida and President Trump's district uh, really hurt you, didn't it? Well, because, you know, we had a plan and I ran for Congress against Lois Frankel in District 21. And uh, ultimately, it was a D plus nine C and we had a strategy to 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 win. And it was crippled severely because of the lockdown, of course, and we could not have any social media. We were going to be door knocking. But my campaign really made history. It was the first time ever a candidate was totally deplatformed. And as I talk about in my book, you know, the Republican Party didn't do anything about this. They said I had no chance of winning a primary. I beat seven primary opponents, raised $2.5 million. I was endorsed by President Trump. He voted for me. And ultimately, I beat the Democrat on Election Day in all categories, except mail-in ballots came in in the middle of the night. So not having social media, especially now in this election, too, uh, it's much better now that I'm able to knock doors and I've continued to out-fundraise the rhino incumbent I'm running against. But I would be raising a lot more money and a lot more people would know who I was or if I had access. So you still don't? No. I'm the, how only, many years I'm the only candidate. How's this been? How many years? I've been banned since 2017. So while everybody's talking about it after 2020, I'm the one, you know, I, I stood up in Congress when Jack Dorsey was testifying and I confronted him and, you know, the Republicans laughed at me and mocked me and Billy Long, who was a congressman from Missouri, uh, auctioned me off and <laughs> decided to make a joke out of it all. And I was taken out by police. And now everybody's talking about it. Now everybody is talking about this fact that the censorship is out of control and that something needs to be done about it. But I just want to remind people that the Republicans mocked people like me and Alex Jones when we were telling them how bad it was going to get. They called us crazy when I said that these companies were working with communists and terrorists to silence people and steal elections. And now, you know, I just wish people would have listened. You know, Laura, all the time that that was happening, of course, there were tons of us who were on the same page exactly. Uh, but I don't think that people understood. They're just now, in the last few years, beginning to understand that the, I say, someone asked me this just recently. He was marginally involved in politics, but had no idea. I said, the, the worst enemy that we have as conservatives, as constitutional conservatives, uh, is not really the left. It's other Republicans who work against us from the inside and destroy. And that's, it's two battles. It's a two-front battle, at least politically. And so, and really, I, I know that you feel this way, and you've said it, and I want to reiterate. To me, this my involvement has never been about a party. 
it's never been about a party. I would say the Republican leadership hates me as bad as the Democrats do for the same reason, because it um, they have so mishandled the power they were handed. Feckless. And they've built little fiefdoms. They've made themselves rich, and they've really accomplished nothing. Because they're not even really Republicans. They're Democrats, too. That's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no Democrats who are Republicans, but there's many Republicans who are Democrats. And, you know, I... I I, I find that I have more disdain, honestly. I have more disdain for the Republican Party leadership than the Democrat Party. And people will say, well, how can you say that as an America First Republican? Well, it's very easy, right? Because at least I, I respect truth, right? And I care about facts. I respect the fact that the Democrats, even if they are destructive, even if they are communists, even if they are you know, anti-America, I respect the fact that they are honest about their agenda. They are honest about what they are trying to do. They want to kill babies. Okay, they want an open border. They want to destroy this economy. Okay, they want to destroy energy independence. They they want to destroy the Constitution. That's their party platform. They are open. The Republicans will tell you that they are against all of these things and that they are an opposite side of the coin, right? But they really aren't. They're they're one and the same. And right now we're seeing that we have a uniparty in this country. We don't really have a two-party system. The two-party system exists. It's supposed to work just like we have the Constitution. It exists. It's supposed to work when enforced. But the reality is, is the Constitution is not being enforced and the uniparty establishment is working hand in hand together. And the people are not getting representation. That's absolutely true. I mean, if people knew the deals that are made in uh, D.C. and the corruption they would be more depressed than they already are. But but here's the deal. Uh, I say, and I will say again, <clears throat> I'm concentrating a great deal on primaries right now on the air. I'm doing that because uh, there's a ton of news, but the best way to fight until violence breaks out in the streets, when you are hungry and your children are hungry and you can't get to work because you can't get gasoline and you can't buy a car when yours runs down, when that happens and violence does break out, you will wish that you had gotten more active in the political system before it was too late. And I, be, I yeah. believe that this particular primary is really a last resort, a last chance for us to get really good people in yeah. who will go in and fight like you, Laura. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that <laughs> I don't even see us having a 2024 election. I, don't I really don't. I don't and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm not trying to sound extreme. I know that every election season, it's a gimmick for politicians to say, this is the most important election of your lifetime. No, this really is. Honestly, I think this is it. It's going to be game over because I'll tell you, it doesn't matter if we take back the house in 2022, if it's full of the same rhinos that handed our country to these communists. Well, kindred spirits, you and I, Laura, <clears throat> my, our, my, my, my audience will be saying, she sounds like Sandy. Yeah. So, but it's true. It's because we will speak the truth. And so when we come back, Laura, let's talk about this campaign that you've got going on in the 11th district of Florida and about uh, why you challenged Daniel Webster, who's the incumbent, and what his uh, record is and what the chances are of you winning and all that stuff. So we'll do that when we return. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Hi, 
talked to President Donald Trump and was endorsed by President Trump and voted for me. And, uh, you know, I didn't receive support from the NRCC, but my question to you is, I saw your slideshow, it says the 2022 top targeted incumbents, but I noticed that uh, Liz Cheney's name isn't on that list. And so I'm just kind of wondering, how do you uh, determine who your top targeted incumbents are? Um, are you paying attention to uh, the feelings and the sentiment of the Trump base that is very angry with the stolen election? And why are you supporting Republicans who are not trying to remove incumbents who voted to impeach Donald Trump? It just seems like it would be a no-brainer to want to uh, challenge these 10 Republicans who voted to impeach uh, President Donald Trump. And then my second question after you answer that one is... We are not here to run against our members. They are; These guys are very talented. They'll run their own races. Those who make their decisions at home, they'll run their own races, as I already told you. We don't get involved in crime. I'm not asking about a primary. I'm asking about this change. That was uh, Laura again at the NRCC. I wanted to play that for you again. So, Laura, let me ask you, uh, are Republican leaders involved in primaries? They're not involved, right? They're not doing anything in primaries. Well, they they lie and they say that they're not, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll say that we don't get involved in primaries, but they clearly are when they are giving money to opponents like Kevin McCarthy and Tom Emmer at the NRCC. They've given Dan Webster (laughs) money, right, to use against me. And they they definitely are getting involved in primary races. Yeah, that's they are all over the country. In the Senate and the House, they handpick candidates. And believe me, you, they send them tons of money and give them support. And then what happens is they buddy up to them, especially if they're new to the scene. Mm -hmm. They bring them to D.C. They act like they're their best friends. And then they ask for favors, like to vote the way they want them to vote. And usually most of them do it. They just did it. I mean, a perfect example of this, right? Look at this lady, Myra Flores, for example, who they just, uh, you know, did this whole parade for in D.C. and had this whole ceremony for. And they said that she flipped the district that has been Democrat for so long. Well, actually, there's going to be an election in November, right? This was a special election. So perhaps she won't, right? Perhaps she won't flip the district. And then they, they describe her as the first Mexican-born congresswoman, when that's not the truth, because there are already Mexican-born members of Congress. And then she votes on amnesty. Amnesty. She votes for the NDAA bill, the National Defense Authorization Act, along with 62 other rhinos in Congress. And this bill, of course, requires mandatory vaccinations for our military. I mean, people are losing their jobs in the military. It gives amnesty to illegal aliens. And now that they got caught, because people are opening their eyes and paying attention to what's inside these terrible bills— they're lying about it. And so this is who the Republican Party gives money to. They, they, You're absolutely correct is that they want to groom new recruits into the Republican Party while they ignore actual real America First fighters. Oh, they, do, or they don't just ignore. They work against. In fact, yeah. I want to ask you, have you seen um, – okay, we haven't gotten to your race yet. District 11 in Florida is uh, northwest of Orlando. And uh, so how would you describe that district? Well, it's a very red, right, (laughs) majority Republican seat. It's an R plus 19. Uh, And so whoever wins the primary is the next member of Congress. And, uh, you know, it includes the villages. So it's also the oldest district in the nation per capita with the largest amount of seniors. 
Uh, it's also a, a heavy veteran district. We have over 17,000 veterans. And so uh, this is a district that needs to be represented by an America first Republican, somebody who's going to put uh, Americans first, our seniors first, our veterans first, as opposed to a rhino who is going to be, you know, supporting amnesty or not believing the election was stolen. This is what you would call an ultra MAGA district. In fact, the villages, which is the largest voting block in the district, um, you know, the villages may be familiar to those of you who watch all the Trump rallies because well, everybody comes to the villages. You know, that's the you know, it's America's friendliest hometown. It's the community known as Disney for uh, the retired folk. Uh, it's the place where they do those uh, really amazing golf cart parades that you've seen all over the news. I believe there was even some type of Netflix documentary about the villages that recently <laughs> came out. So it's a very um, it's a very high profile community. Um, but it's also the most pro-Trump area in the entire state of Florida per density, the most MAGA Interesting. area. And yet it's represented by a congressman named Daniel Webster, who's been in office for 40 years, 10 of which has been in Congress. And uh, he uh, did not support Donald Trump during the second impeachment. He skipped the vote on the January 6th commission. He does not believe that the 2020 election was stolen. And while seniors are struggling on fixed incomes and, and, and veterans are going homeless and killing themselves in the streets because they are not getting the care that they need and that they are, uh, uh, you know, deserving of, Dan Webster is dishing out $40 billion of aid to Ukraine. So, you know, the people here are not. So he did their, vote on that. He did. He couldn't yeah, bother he, to vote on the other things, but he, he voted couldn't on bother that. to show up to support President Donald Trump uh, during the impeachment. He couldn't bother to fight for the January six political prisoners, but he could bother to show up to send forty billion dollars of aid to Ukraine. You know, every uh, political in a political rivalry, each candidate says something bad about their opponent. You listen to one, and you think, "Oh, that's terrible." You listen to the other talking about the other, and they you think, "Oh, that's terrible." And so people say. Well, you're biased. You want to win the race. I want to read something because you just got an endorsement from Orlando Local News. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Pretty stunning. And I want to read uh, a little bit of it to our audience. It says, Laura Loomer, she's everything Daniel Webster is not. Now, I'm going to skip around a bit. They write, he rarely shows up for work in D.C. on critical votes 90% of the time. He rarely appears in public. And when he does, his words are few and his appearance frail. This endorsement isn't really an attack on Webster. It is an emergency alarm calling for help. His political record in Congress has been dismal. He's done nothing for the district in terms of transportation and infrastructure. He's fought, he's fought projects to improve his constituents' livelihoods and daily affairs every step of the way. He's refused to fight for election integrity. He has publicly signaled that he does not believe the 2020 presidential election was stolen, despite the sentiments of his constituents. He is one of the only Republicans who skipped the vote on the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Every attempt, by the way, by this writer in this paper, this news outlet, uh, to contact his office for any purpose has been met with no return calls and few email responses. Uh, they said they get, wanted to give him a Lifetime Achievement Award last year, and he didn't show up. Uh, then the, they write, something is wrong with Daniel Webster, and the 2022 midterms is a time for choosing. And then they go on to say... Um, they lay out his record as you just did. It does. It, it comports with what you said. Um, and they said they were the first outlet to actually endorse Webster in 1980. So they've been with him all this time. But they say all the years he's spent, he's written, he's um, sponsored zero bills, zero major committee chairmanships, and is one of the worst congressional has one of the worst congressional attendance records in American history. 
And then they end it by saying, we wholeheartedly endorse Laura Loomer for Congress in Florida's 11th Congressional District. I think that's interesting, Laura, because, uh, again, they were big supporters of his, wanted to give him an Achievement Award last year, and now they've they've changed. Now they're behind you. Yeah, and I think that uh, this is a perfect example. This is a perfect primary that puts on display that the American people are being robbed. The American people are being robbed of the representation that they deserve. They deserve better. They deserve people who are going to show up and fight for them. And it's 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 past the time of settling. You know, Americans are settling at the ballot box. They go in and they hold their nose and they vote for the lesser of two evils. Isn't it time that Americans feel energized and excited to vote for somebody who's actually going to fight for them? Why do Americans have to settle for somebody who isn't even picking up the phone or replying to their emails, right? And so... I think that they're excited. A lot of people tell me that, oh, we've only voted for Webster in the past because there was no real, real, real challenger to him. But, you know, we've really we are we are going to win. I, I, I do believe it. We've out fundraised the congressman. We have outperformed him. And we are campaigning while having our hands tied behind our back, because, of course, I'm the only deplatformed campaign in the nation. And the Republican Party is OK with the censorship and they're giving Dan Webster more money to use against me. So. You know, I just want people to open their eyes and realize that they're being sold a lie by the Republican Party. You were supposed to debate him uh, last week. Mm-hmm. What what happened? Well, the Villages for Trump, um, you know, as we said, it's the largest uh, Trump organization in the, um, you know, the state of Florida, and I believe the largest Trump club in the entire country, um, the most impactful group here in the Villages. And uh, they hosted a debate. And ultimately, Dan Webster did not show up for the debate. And so, you know, given the fact that the congressman's an empty suit, the seventh most absent member of Congress, I showed up with an empty suit jacket, a male suit jacket with a name tag I made that said Congressman Dan Webster. And I carried it on stage and dropped it on the floor and you know, walk down the suit with my heel because, you know, people need to understand the visual, right, that they have an absentee congressman. They have it. The, the, his staff are, it challenged you with some questions after that. Yeah. Uh, tell us, can you remember what those were? So I, you know, I called his staff out because he didn't show up, but his staff did. And I called them out from the stage and people were, you're staring at his staff because, you know, not only is Dan Webster absent, but I also called into question, right, the intellectual honesty of the Republican Party. How are we going to call for the 25th Amendment for Joe Biden and his cognitive decline when we have a congressman who has been spotted wearing a life alert necklace? You know, and and look, aging is a natural process, but... If Dan Webster is not showing up for votes, one, because he's, you know, not 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 courageous enough to stand with Trump, but also, too, because he's not physically or cognitively well enough to be a congressman. That's something that we we need to talk about. So I called his staff out. I accused them of committing elder abuse from the stage and they approached me at an event the next day and said that I was wrong to you know, attack them and say that they are guilty of elder abuse. But if a man is elderly and he's 73 years old and he is, you know, not well enough to the point where he's publicly wearing a life alert, I think it's time uh, to stop pushing this man to do something that he's not capable of doing any longer. That's the definition of elder abuse. It is. And I stand by my statements. My observation on that, though, is that this is a pattern for him. If you look back on his record, as this Orlando outlet just repeated, over the course of his career, he's done hardly anything. And I want to address another issue because, um, Laura, you are Ju- you are Jewish, and there are a lot of Christians in Florida. This is mm-hmm. a very Christian area. Dan- Daniel Webster is a Christian. I'm putting that in quotes. I don't know him. Um, but I want to say something as a Christian that it's not—I'm trying to emphasize this. I had a conversation with a pastor from Oklahoma before the Oklahoma primary, and uh, he was— all about some of these candidates who were also Christians, I use in quotes. 
it doesn't mean anything if you say that and you don't do what you can. First of all, it's it's defrauding the voters not to show up. That's that's taking a paycheck. That's stealing the national treasury. That is that's an abomination to me as a as a Christian. The second thing is I'll just say something private. I'll say it quickly. Um, when partial when David Del Iden's videos of mm-hmm. uh, underground vi- under behind scene Planned hidden cameras, the hidden camera and, videos, and, and, and Planned Parenthood revealed all of these. Uh, dissected baby parts and the discussions about the sale of them and how one doctor was laughing that she was going to buy a Lamborghini. It was just horrific. It shocked the nation to the core. And it was getting a lot of airtime. And so a bunch of us met in Ted Cruz's office, the leaders of the pro-life family, pro-life movement in in, uh, Washington, and decided that it was time to to not to shut down the government. Don't pass that budget with all of its millions of spending for Planned Parenthood for federal dollars. Stop it right now while the American public, we have their attention on this, and they will understand. Uh, But the Republican leaders weren't having it, and the pro-life leaders just went only. Students for Life, American Family Association, and Ted Cruz stood fast. Mm -hmm. That's it. All the pro-life groups that you can think of, they didn't. So here's what happened. The Congress, that led by the Republicans, didn't want they, we didn't want to shut down the government. So just shh, don't say too much. We'll pass this budget and then we'll hold a hearing. We'll hold a hearing next spring. Marsha Blackburn will uh, chair the hearing and we'll hold hearings on Planned Parenthood selling baby body parts, which they did. And what did it do? It did nothing. When they could have defunded Planned Parenthood, they didn't do it. Daniel Webster was one of those. He was right there. And he is a Christian. I'm sorry, I don't get that. Laura, sorry, there's the there's the music. Why should people vote for you, kiddo? Well, because I'm a fighter, right? And uh, I'm running for Congress to uh, be a voice of reason and be uh, a voice of the truth. And uh, regardless of party affiliation, I'm fighting for what's right. I'm fighting for what's just. I'm fighting for America. I'm fighting to protect you and your family. And uh, we are we we deserve better. You deserve better. And uh, it would be my honor to represent you. So please vote Laura Lemer for Congress in the Republican primary on August 23rd. How can people help you? Where, where can they find you? Uh, people can go to my website, lauralumer4congress.com. Uh, you can the, donate the number four f o r f o r congress dot com, and you can donate to my campaign. And uh, I'm also on Truth Social at Laura Loomer. I'm on Getter at Laura Loomer, uh, Telegram, Gab, uh, you know, all of these other sites. So the choices are endless, yes. at yeah. least on the conservative side of social media. But tell anyway. everybody you know in Central Florida, Lake County, Sumter County, Polk okay. County, and Orange County. Great to get to know you, Laura. Thanks for coming. Sandy Thank Reels you. in the morning.